Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. My co-host, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. Since we just played the Heat, this is the Max Struess episode of the Celtics Pride Podcast. And my good friend, Mike Minkoff. What do, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean we're running around screens, just dropping dropping threes from all over the place, uh, or or is it something else, Josh? It means you think it you can, can take us to the hole uh, when you're on offense, but we're gonna hold our own a slightly better than you expect. It means we get to revisit the topic of should we keep Max Spruce or Javante Green as our last roster spot from oh, two years God. ago. All right, our agenda for today is hopefully not that. Uh, we're going to talk about the last few games. We're going to talk about whether the Celtics are still rolling without Rob Williams. Uh, we'll head on some other topics here before getting to the last remaining regular season games of the season and looking ahead to the playoffs. Josh, last three games. Are the Celtics still rolling without Rob? Absolutely. And since we last potted, it's been four games, which started out with a couple losses. Um, yeah, I, in, in the last week, the Celtics... Um, or sorry, when we started the week, the Celtics had only lost three games since January, right? Then we lost two in a row. So you could say, hey, we, we hit a little skid there with two losses in a row. But that was only lost four and five in the last two months. Um, and I think we're still playing pretty well after the week rounded itself out. What do you guys think? I think, well, so the first of those four games was against Toronto in Toronto, where four-fifths of our starting lineup did not travel and play with the team. We, we lost yeah. a resilient game, you know, in overtime in a game that we, it was, it's impressive that we were even in, in it. Um, and then we lost to a very good Miami heat team in Boston. That one was disappointing, uh, but certainly not catastrophic. I would say we have, it, it definitely took the team some time to adjust and, and, um, refined its defensive identity i i think in like uh parts of the miami game they they weren't asserting themselves on defense quite the same that was a little bit of a slugfest sloppy game but not um we didn't have the same kind of feel as a team as a unit against indiana our offense started to come around but our defense was really really sloppy um atlanta or atlanta indiana hit all sorts of threes against us from all over, uh, against Washington. Uh, we kind of put it all back together. Um, so I think, I think we're back to rolling, uh, as I tweeted earlier, um, today, uh, we're recording on Sunday, you know, those three games where we weren't just dominating everyone we played were exhausting, right? It was really tough three game stretch. We went through before we went back to <laughs> our old dominating ways of winning by 40 plus points. So, that's that's my feeling. Yeah, when you sh- <laughs> when you play good defense, when you play good defense against Washington, shoot fifty percent from the floor. I'm sorry, fifty percent from three and sixty percent from the floor. It's hard to argue that the team is not rolling at least for that game. The biggest things for me are the fact that Rob's injury is only four to six weeks, and I know that's a weird way to answer. Are the Celtics still rolling? But it means that they can that the adjustment is a vastly different thing. So they can actually not roll at the same level and still be okay for these playoffs, which is the the big thing. Uh, the other piece here, is, and I just, and that cannot be understated. This injury could have been a lot worse. And, and I just want to pause just to see if you guys, because we haven't talked about uh, the surgery specifically and whether you're concerned about long-term future and decisions around that. I just want to see, are there any reactions to 
one, the news that it's only four to six weeks, but anything else around Rob Williams' uh, surgery and prognosis? I mean, I I can't pretend to know anything about um, knee knee surgery recovery. Um, Like like everybody listening to this, I've done my fair bit of Googling over the past week or two uh, to understand who else has had knee uh, meniscectomy or whatever it's called, you know, had there had had partial meniscus removal uh, for for meniscus tears and um, how that's affected their recovery. I mean, the the one that really kind of stuck with me is Chris Paul had something similar in like 2010 or 2011. Obviously, he's had a Hall of Fame career um, with many of those years coming after that uh, injury. You know, it seems like this might affect him and increase his likelihood of arthritis as he gets later into his life, uh, him being Rob, of course. Um, but as far as kind of his ability to, to be a impactful basketball player returning to the level that he was playing at pre-injury, that seems pretty likely. And then um, it, it seems like there's muscle stabilization exercises he can do um, to, to minimize or mitigate the risk of, of some of those longer term, uh, side effects. Um, so, I mean, by all accounts, it it was really good news and, and, uh, under the circumstances, uh, both for Rob and for the Celtics. Well, I can't remember if it was the last podcast or the, or two ago where, I mentioned that the thing that I was really looking at in the next few games was about how the bench develops. And we're seeing that Odoka's going with uh, three guys coming off the bench. Pritchard's shooting phenomenally well still. Derek White is has kind of found his shot again, or at least is not hesitating in the same way he did before. Neesmith is not really getting minutes unless it's in garbage time. And that's a huge, huge deal. It feels like we have a very clear bench and all of the guys coming off the bench are playing well. I'm not talking about Grant Williams and and Daniel Tice yet, who have flip-flopped, because that's a big piece about how the Celtics compensate for the loss of Rob Williams. They started Grant, I think it was the Miami game, uh, and and maybe Toronto too, but uh, that was um, shorthanded. But in Miami, when they had most of their guys, Grant started, and that didn't quite work out. He's back on the bench the last two games, Tice starting in the sort of Rob Williams role, uh, the double big lineup. And they're playing a lot better with that. And I'm curious about how you guys feel about the decision to start Tice, how Tice has been playing. Yeah, I've got a bunch of notes on that. And that's definitely something I've been watching. Um, When Tice is in the starting lineup, he can play the Rob Williams weak side rotation role, which keeps Horford in the normal starting position of like handling pick and rolls up top when he's guarding the big. Um, So to me, that's kind of a, a big deal. He's not the weak side shot blocker as the Rob Williams that Rob Williams is, but Tice definitely can rotate, guard some perimeter. Um, on offense, Tice doesn't need to produce much because you know he's got other firepower with Tatum and Brown on the court at the same time. So I think having Grant Williams come off the bench in a similar look as like Derek White coming off the bench is kind of like smart, defensive-minded, like pesky spark plug players. Um, that kind of like is a better fit for the bench right now rather than Tice coming off the bench and just giving you some solid stuff that you could kind of hide on offense as a starter. So I think this could be prepped for continuity in these roles kind of going forward as we get into the playoffs and potentially play the entire first round of the playoffs without Rob Williams, maybe more. Um, So it just kind of keeps the continuity of everybody's role and 
keeps the engine humming without having to change pieces around at all. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, that, especially the last part you said. It, it's a really effective way to keep people kind of in the roles that they were in, and you're basically just putting Tice into the role previously occupied by Rob. I think, to me, a couple of things are, are noteworthy here. Um, I think I said la shared last week the kind of advanced numbers, at least going into uh, com coming off of Rob's injury. Um, you know, the Celtics had the the lineups had, were, were performed better that had kind of Horford and Tice or Grant and Tice versus the the Horford Grant Williams pairing, um, which which was more pedestrian. Um, so you know, I was curious about seeing. Horford Tice paired together for the starting lineup. What I I think it should be, I think um, Ime should be commended. It took all of one game for him to make that adjustment. Uh, he he went with Horford Williams against Miami, and after the game, he said they wanted to see more of Horford Tice going forward. And against Indiana, Horford and Tice were starting, and they were starting again against Washington for. You know, I, I think given all of the belly aching that happened earlier this year, and obviously a lot of Celtics fans are finally over that, um, but about Ime being slow to make adjustments or playing the wrong guys in the wrong spots in the rotation too long, I think he deserves a lot of praise for being, you know, I, I think it made sense to give Grant the first chance. He's been on the team the whole season, give him a chance as a starter, but I also think he made made the right adjustment and he made it really quickly, getting Grant back or getting Tice in the in the starting role next to Horford. And Grant has played well coming off the bench in both of those games, much better than he did at starting. If if one of these two guys is wide open for three, Derek White or Daniel Tice, who do you guys have your money on to make the three? White. Uh, it's pretty White. much a coin flip proposition, I think, between the two. <laughs> They're both about 30, 32, 33, 34% shooters. I'm fine with that. Of course you're going to go statistically. That's good enough. Well, I don't actually know what, like, I mean, White, I think, is shooting actually a lower percentage than that this year. I, think I don't, so I don't know what oh, his yeah. actual numbers are, but no, like, in my, like in my, in my, thirties, in my head, I'd give them each a one and three shot of making the shot, <laughs> and it, so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with either of them, but I'd obviously prefer Grant or Tatum or Brown to be taken or Pritchard to be taking that open three. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the one thing that Tice gives us that Rob Williams obviously didn't is, is he can actually make an open three, we think. But then I'm kind of like, it seems just from watching him shoot those recently, it seems like he's lost kind of the momentum that he had gained when, when he learned how to shoot threes with us the last time around. Um, I was pretty confident with him the last his last day with the Celtics, and I'm much less so right now. And I'm kind of wondering if the next few games will have a chance to shoot a bunch of three-pointers that may, you know, obviously wouldn't impact playoff games. Um, so now is kind of the time to figure out, is that going to be part of his role in the playoffs or not? Uh, yeah, in, the, well, in the minutes he does get. To, to, to add some ammo to your argument there, Josh, uh, Tice shot 30, almost 39% for the season, 2018, 2019, 33%, 2019, right. 2020, 30, just shy of 35% 2020-21 before the trade. Uh, on Chicago, the rest of that season, he shot 28.1%. In Houston, yeah. uh, the first part of this season, he shot 29.1%. Uh, right. And then now back with Boston, he's shooting 316 uh, So uh, the good news is that he's never been below 30% with the Cs. In fact, he's never <laughs> been below 31% with the Cs. Um, right. 
but it does <laughs> also suggest that maybe he did he, he has some uh, unlearning of bad shooting form to to get to get out of now that he's back in green no i think it's just confidence I was playing ball at the gym the other day, and a guy said I shot the three like Daniel Tyson. I said, do you mean poorly? And he said, no, streaky. And I think that's accurate. Uh, Have you ever been more offended in your life? (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah, especially on the basketball court. (laughs) But we won't talk about that. Uh, But I I think a lot of fans are feeling like, well, he adds a different dimension than Rob Williams in the starting lineup because he can stretch the floor. At least he'll take a couple threes a game. He'll make one out of every uh, three plus. And but I still don't think the other team's guarding him out there, so it doesn't really make a difference. Right. And it's not like that Same is White. a huge added benefit uh, to Williams because he's creates so much fear in the defense for so many other reasons, and and is such a great passer. Um, and that, that White comment, Josh, I I think you're I think you're right about that White comment in the playoffs, and we'll we'll we can talk more about yeah. what that'll look like in in the future. Yeah, teams are going to still Rondo White in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think Pritchard will be wide open too. I mean, sorry, uh, Tice will be wide open too. But when you're talking about Grant Williams not being in the starting lineup and Tice instead, that's when you'd like to see some three-point shooting from Tice. So, Well, the other guy that's been playing really well in the past few games is Jalen Brown. Right, Josh? Yo, I got the stats for you guys. Nine straight games of 25-plus points. Longest stretch of his career. Uh, so in the last 10 games, he's 27-5-3. and three. 53, 44, 80 shooting splits. Uh, against Indiana, seven assists. Against Miami, six assists. Against the Wizards, five assists. I seem to remember one of you guys talking about how he wasn't facilitating like we wanted him to. Um, oh, and by the way, against me. the Wizards, he was only 70% from the field, 80% from three, and 100% from the line. Um, so all the haters need to stop talking that mess about uh, Jason, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But <laughs> Brown specifically. That 180-70 club? Yeah, the 70-80-100 club for today's game. Yeah, Jalen is is also top 10 in the NBA in first quarter scoring. He he always comes out on fire in the first quarter. I've got to pull up the, the nine guys in front of him. Um, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, Trey Young, Nikola Jokic. Donovan Mitchell and Anthony Davis. Not a bad, not a bad list to be on. He's tied with Giannis. Um, so Jalen better than Tatum at that. Right? Better at Tatum than that for sure. Though I, I feel like they've kind of figured out like a little synergy there where Tatum, Tatum eases into the game, the scoring part of the game a little bit. He kind of lets Jalen run run the scoring in the first quarter, and then Tatum kind of picks it up over the course of the game and and really takes over in the third and fourth quarter. Um, I don't know. I assume they've kind of discussed that. Like it seems, it seems to be their equilibrium and it works really well for them. I assumed a part of that was that the game plan on defense by the other team is to focus on Jason Tatum, uh, especially coming out of recent seasons in the beginning of this year, they're forcing him to either go against the double or triple team or pass out of it. And he's learned to pass out of it. And part of that is that Jalen Brown gets one-on-one with other guys. So I think Tatum is establishing that he's going to pass it. And then, and then uh, he's able, he's, he's trusting his teammates to get the ball back to him in much easier scoring situations for him, especially later in the game. And, and let's not forget that Jalen Brown has always been the more consistent of the two from a scoring perspective. All you have to do is look at his shooting percentages compared to Tatum. 
to see that he's the, the most efficient of the two stars that we have. Um, and as Tatum was growing, would, would you still pick him over Tatum? Um, that's, it goes into other issues with that conversation now. I mean, like my strategically, when people were saying trade one of them, everyone was saying trade Brown. And I was like, Whoa, wait a second. We'd be able to get a lot more for Tatum. And at that point, Tatum was the one who hadn't learned yet how to be tough and how to be a leader and how to do all the things that he's showing that we uh, now have a segment named after him, the Tatum Gush Fest. Looking forward to that one later in this pod. So, I yeah. feel like we're there, no? Um, well, so look, the only bad things you can say about these two guys, like we can complain about Jalen Brown's turnovers. Um, they were on display the last few games, right? Begging for contact. Um, you can say Jason Tatum is having a career low in three-point percentage, only 35% from three this year, right? But there's some things that this guy is doing Tatum, that is pretty incredible. So I, I feel like there's some toughness stats that he's got career highs in right now. Free throw attempts per game this season, 6.2. So for reference, DeRozan is 7.9 this year in his kind of career year for himself. Um, Paul Pierce's best year, 10.3. And Bede and Giannis lead the league this year with 11.6, right? And when you have their body, you can handle more you know, than Tatum can, I think. Um, but... To me, that's the toughness stat. Are you getting to the line? Um, are you rebounding the ball? So he's got career highs in offensive rebounds per game and total rebounds per game. Mike, I'm curious. Do you think uh, plus, minus, or net rating, or do they show any kind of toughness? Because he's having career highs in those two categories this year, too. Um, I don't think they show cu- toughness. I mean, again, I, well, I do think it's relevant. Mental that he's toughness? Got, he's got one of the best defensive ratings individual individual defensive yeah. ratings in the NBA, if not the best. But I mean, that that doesn't that can't happen by accident. It's not actually an individual stat so much as it says that when he's on the court, he's been part of the best kind of collective defenses consistently. And that's a testament to the toughness and the dedication and the focus that he's put in. I think another testament to his toughness is he's third in the NBA in minutes this year behind the two bridges (laughs) behind uh, miles and Mikhail bridges. So he is, you know, he's, he's putting in the time. Um, I'm a little worried that he keeps having this sore knee given how many minutes he's played, but um, he's clearly showed a, a high level of mental focus. He has his, you know, highest usage ever um, of his career, his highest true shooting percentage of his career, which is uh, in part in, in part because of his free throw attempts, which is helping offset his poor shooting from three, for example. Um, no, I mean, again, we've talked about it before. I still think, you know, it, to me, it's like a coin flip between him and Luca for number four in the MVP voting. Um, He's been stellar, and that's he's what we been, wanted to he's see. Been we every, to see he's, it's what we—it's it's not only what we wanted to see; it's literally what we need to see if we want to think of the yeah. Celtics as as contenders. Like it's—it's it's the only path to contention uh, without some miraculous acquisition, and and by miraculous I mean extraordinarily unlikely. Uh, the only path for us to contention is Tatum being a top five player in the NBA, and right now he's acting like that. Draymond Green had him on his podcast, and and basically said uh tatum would be weak as blank if he didn't get mvp next season um and i i don't know if i'd 
say it's his to take next year, but I, I think he should be in the top three. I mean, he's, he's in a position right now, if he can play the way he's been playing the last few months over, you know, five, five of the six months of the NBA season, he should be a top, a top three uh, MVP finalist. I think it takes the year before of like, like your all-star selection has to do with the second half of the previous year or two. And I would think the same thing about all these end of the year awards. Like if you've been showing it for multiple years, I feel like now you get all of a sudden the consideration nationally that your home fan base and, and media have been seeing the whole time. Um, and so I think, yeah, this bodes well for him next year as well. And it's going to, I mean, we're, we're going to have to start the season obviously much, much more strongly than we did this year. Um, and, and, you know, be promoting him. So some, what we start the season stronger, like as a team at the team. Yeah. I yeah. mean, with a better for, record for than Tatum to win MVP for Tatum to, yeah. Cause you, it's narrative yeah. driven, right? So you have to be in that conversation yeah. earlier. Um, and you do that by having a good record. So somehow we're second in the, in the East right now, speaking of records, <laughs> I don't know how it happened again. Milwaukee lost today on Sunday to Dallas. We, we beat, the Wizards, and there we are. Uh, as we record, one and a half games behind Miami, um, but by the end of today, that could change. Exactly. So we recorded the pod last week. We said we were first. By the time the pod came out, we were no longer first. No, we no, fourth. we are going. We we will definitely be in second by the time the pod comes out. I believe. I don't think that can change. Yeah. As as the standings sit now. Like if the playoffs ended today, would you know we have three games left? Um, it's looking so. A couple of things are happening with the standings that uh, might, are are worth worth taking note of. Right now, we would either end up playing um, the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Atlanta Hawks because uh, they are the right. the seven and eight seed, and the Hawks are a game up of Charlotte in the in the play-in bracket uh and the hawks just beat brooklyn in a pretty significant game standings wise uh from that from play-in wise in, in particular do, do you know so, mike does that give them the tiebreaker between I the be- two i believe they have the tiebreaker um but i'm not 100 percent certain on that um but obviously and and just as importantly uh, with brooklyn losing they're now tied with Charlotte in at 40 and 38 at the ninth slash 10th spot in the play in bracket. And the teams in the ninth and 10th spots in the bracket can't, cannot, it's impossible for them to end up playing against the two seed. So if Brooklyn's going to stay there, which is very possible, it, it all of a sudden becomes very desirable to be the two seed in the East. And if we played one of Cleveland or Atlanta in the first round and got through that, then we would play the winner of a Milwaukee Chicago series as it stands now. Now, wait a minute. I'm not going to lie. I don't, I wouldn't hate that path. Wait a minute. (laughs) We've been talking about this for weeks now, and I'm the only one on this podcast that is talking about wanting to avoid Brooklyn. And now it matters to you. No, I think Mike is talking about avoiding other teams too. Not. I said I wouldn't game the system. I said I wouldn't game the system. So I, like, I hear you. I would I would take it where we land, but I'm not going to complain. Look, I'm ter- Kevin Durant is terrifying. 
and he he's one of only two players in the East, Giannis being the other one, that I I think can reliably be called the best player in a series against the Celtics. Yeah. I think against Philadelphia, it's kind of more of a coin flip in my mind uh, between Embiid and and Tatum. Um, I think against the Heat, I, I would take Tatum individually over any of their players, but I think any given game, they could have the best player in the game. Um, and that could be one of three different players on their team between Lowry and Bam and Jimmy. Um, and I, I don't think anybody else really enters the conversation. Um, any other teams have players, maybe, maybe the Hawks with Trey, yeah. he could, he could kind of elevate to that level occasionally, but so no, like, of course I, I don't want to see the Celtics face off against Kevin Durant if they don't have to, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to actively game the system to avoid it. Okay. So let's assume they're not gaming the system, but they're making decisions about resting players or not (laughs) in the last three games. I mean, they are going up against Chicago on Wednesday, Milwaukee the next night on the road. That's, you know, Chicago and Milwaukee are close to each other, but you still have travel in between. And that's an eight o'clock game Eastern time in Chicago, and then another night game against Milwaukee, and then they'll have a couple of days off, and they play Memphis. So three good teams, uh, and that Milwaukee game might would have implications based on how things look now. That it's very likely that it could have implications on the number two seed. Yeah, would you rest Tatum and Brown? If yeah. like let's say Ime is thinking about that, does he not so that they keep the two seed? No, I think that if you're if you have an advantage in these games like we did today against the Wizards, that's the time to get the minutes down. Um, but I think that you need to keep going full speed ahead with this machine that we have. We are rolling; it is automated, and the more you rest, guys, the more you I think bother that consistency. So this is not the season to like give some guys some rest at the last few games, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. I would only do it if there's like I mean. Jalen and Jason have been showing up on the injury report with the knee stuff the last couple of weeks, mostly as probable with like some knee tendinopathy or knee soreness. They both were out of the game in Toronto um, with the knee stuff, possibly some other stuff, but that's speculative. Um, I, but I agree with Josh. Like I, I want to see, you know, two or three more games like the one, we had against Washington against better competition without Rob. I think, I think it's really important for this team to reestablish and and the identity that it had built up with Rob without him. Um, And I, for reasons that we talked about last week, for reasons that we touched on earlier with kind of Tice being able to sub in and bring enough of what Rob had and a couple of different wrinkles. um, There's no reason in my mind that they can't continue to be pretty, pretty dominant. Um, even against a Chicago, uh, you know, maybe not the same way against Milwaukee, but I want to see them go head to head. I want to see them, you know, go in there and try to take a win against Milwaukee yeah. at the end of the season and, and cement you know... the number two seed, right? Like I, that, yeah, you know, those, Milwaukee's coming. Yeah. Those are important. They're not, they're not resting from a mindset and a mentality perspective. And then we have a week off, um, after the regular season ends, after that, that game against Memphis, we had, like the first playoff game. So that game against Memphis is on Sunday, the 10th. The first game of the playoffs is going to be Saturday, 
the 16th, I believe. Uh, and we might not even play that first day, depending on TV schedule. So we'd play either six or seven days after. So people can kind of rest their bodies and, and get treatment and all of that stuff. Um, so I'm with you, Josh. Okay. And so if, let- if Tatum and Brown were 27 and 29 years old, then we could, I think this is more of a conversation, but we're so young that I think it's, you, you just got to keep going. All right. So we do what you guys are talking about. Let's say just for the sake of argument, Miami, uh, drops the next three games and basically gifts us the number one spot. You're not changing that behavior <laughs> at all to drop down to number two. I no. was talking about tanking as we enter the playoffs. No, no, they, you Why? don't. We're going to start tanking. Just double checking. Do not, you do not shift away from a winning mindset going into increasingly intense competition. You, you lock in like, on guys, your mindset. Guys. Adam, give us your speech in the locker room when you walk yeah. in there. As, <laughs> as you Coach, Coach Adams, like, all right, guys, you've been trying too hard. You've been winning too much. I need you to stop caring. Yeah, I know that, we all like speech, the winning. Adam, anything else you want to toss in there? Uh, oh no, I'm I'm lying to the team in the locker room. I'm talking about like we want to go into the playoffs strong. Uh, I'm I'm emphasizing the positives, and I'm just saying, you know, I've I've made a decision as the coach to to sit a couple guys here on this last game of the year, that kind of thing. Uh, My questions are are half to uh, play a little devil's advocate here and just kind of test your theories here because you guys seem pretty adamant I think it's like 30% that and 70% because you would totally (laughs) be gaming the system if you were making the calls. But if you want to call it half, we can call it half. It's a Daniel Tice three-point percentage. (laughs) So Adam, uh, let me ask you this follow-up question. So you're starting Broderick Thomas at the one? Is like that? that (laughs) Can you name all of the guys on the bench who would play? Like, can we actually name everybody? Or because uh, if you can't name the guys, I don't think this theory is very good. I'm starting Hauser at the five, Josh, just like you want. <laughs> Perfect. It's a deep cut um, for our, our loyal listeners. There, it's a, but, a dig at Josh. Before we we wrap up, I wanted to bring one one Celtics adjacent thing that that we didn't have on the agenda. But as as we record, the longtime Celtics nemesis, LA Lakers, are losing by eight it's 122 to 114 uh they're losing to denver um they are currently outside the play-in looking in and aside from the celtics just unbelievable turnaround this season to get into the second in the east is there anything sweeter than the the fact that the lakers might simultaneously miss the playoffs entirely it's well, that's intentional, delicious. it seems, isn't it, Mike? I mean, LeBron's out, and it doesn't sound like well, he, he wants to play. LeBron and AD were not out for the game against the Pelicans that they lost. That was a must-win for them <laughs> to have a chance at the play-in. So maybe it's intentional now after they exactly. failed completely on that one. But I don't know. It, LeBron, it, just, makes, LeBron it, was... it just makes everything a little sweeter for me. Might, the grass is a little greener. The sky is a little bluer. The sun is a little warmer on my skin. Yeah, it's like California out here in Boston. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, is... I didn't know we were going to have a Lakers hate section in the agenda today, but I, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I think it was really interesting that LeBron like had the scoring title locked up, but he needed to play two more games and still average 31 or 32 in those games. Um, and so I haven't I haven't seen like what the, the tally is, but 
we'll give a little update at the end of the pod. Like, does LeBron win the scoring title? Which seemed like it was the reason to uh, keep the spotlight on the Lakers and then not enter the playoffs to not reveal how they are really going to show up when it matters. Um, so that LeBron can celebrate this scoring title at age 37, which is just an amazing accomplishment individually. Um, but yeah, the team's not doing so hot and they don't have a lot of options. That's a Kobe-esque accomplishment right there. Just self-serving, but it's still impressive at the same time while your team is intentionally, it seems, unexpectedly tanking to avoid the playoffs. To avoid the playoffs. They don't want to play the Phoenix Suns in round one. There's nothing intentional about the Lakers missing the playoffs this season in macro. Maybe they're making that choice now that they're at like three games left, but they don't get credit for any intentionality here. They have to own this failure, and I want to delight in their failure. I think it goes back a few days. I think it goes back up to a week. The LeBron started saying, do we want this? AD and LeBron played against the Pelicans. All hurt. They would not have played if they were trying to lose. They had no reason to come back. I'm not saying they're trying to lose. I'm saying they're not that interested in winning. <laughs> Adam, Adam, Adam is in a full semantics mode today, Josh. <laughs> There's levels of tank here. <laughs> well, Mike, I got a stat for you about the Lakers for this segment specifically. Um, hoopshype.com, they have a rankings of all of their trade rumors. And then, so they've ranked like the, the most play, the players who've uh, come on the trade rumors the most often on their site. And number five is Anthony Davis, trade rumors. Number four is Russell Westbrook, trade rumors. So um, who would you trade? I don't know. How, how do you fix this roster? That, that has more to do with LA being a prominent media uh, uh, discussion point than anything else, I would say. Yeah, we, we don't have the time, nor do they deserve our collective intelligence to, to think through how to fix the Lakers. <laughs> I, would, I would never have traded for Russell Westbrook in the first place. Anything you guys are watching for this final week of the season? Again, Celtics play at Chicago, at Milwaukee, and at Memphis. Yeah, I think these are big games. You know, Chicago has not been playing that well. Um, but I still think that they're a very good team. Yeah, I think that we really, I agree, Josh, we really need to kind of assert, again, like I was saying before, I think we need to kind of uh, assert ourselves on the game the way we had been uh, up to, leading up to Rob's injury. Um, it's been, you know, Scal has been commenting it, on it in the uh, in the broadcast. The pick and roll defense has not been as effective or coming into the game against Washington in you know, against Indiana, it was pretty weak. Uh, against Miami, it had it had some some uh, bad moments. Um, so you know, it's important that this team uh, re reestablishes its kind of deep deep belief in itself, uh, with or without Rob. And none of the teams in the play playing conversation that you know, one of which will we likely or or very possibly be playing in the first round is going to be easy. So, you know, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's Cleveland, whether it's Charlotte, whether it's Brooklyn, like none of those teams are, uh, three of them are really dynamic offensively. One is defensively extremely strong. Um, all of them are going to be very, very effective run, running pick and roll uh, focused offenses. So to me, it's about 
building on what we just did to Washington um, and putting a, a couple more of those on the sheet. Really strong defensive efforts would be my priority and, and making sure that we're really sturdy on that side of the ball going into the playoffs. Adam, you're just looking for health, right? I, well, I, I agree with Mike. I think I think how this the team's identity without Rob Williams is important going into the playoffs. I also want to make sure that they're healthy. Um, and I want to make sure that um, they are in the best position possible going into the playoffs in terms of seeding. Uh, so I think it's a balance of all, all of those things. And I'm certainly not opposed to ending up in a position where we're playing Brooklyn, but we've hit the other marks. And the last thing I'm looking forward to this week is actually our podcast next week. We're going to revisit some season predictions that we had at the beginning of the year, revisit some bets and see how those are turning out. I know uh, Carson Edwards being signed by the Detroit Pistons uh, brings up a, a bet that I had that I thought was dead, completely gone, <laughs> um, and now finally has some life again. Well, Who yeah, knows? I mean, we'll see. We'll see where we we'll talk he is about it at the start of next season. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Two-year deal for Carson. I assume the second is unguaranteed. Thirty-eight yeah. percent from three in the G League this year. All right. 